0: Welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks for tuning in here. We're recording this on Wednesday, November 17th, 2021. We're a little over two weeks after election day in this monumentous New York City election year, the first wide open election cycle in eight years. And we've seen a lot of change and a lot to look forward to as we see the new class of city government coming into office in January. We're continuing here on the show to break down the results and to look ahead. And even as Mayor-elect Eric Adams has rightly been the main focus of lots of attention as we track the transition period and look ahead to the next city government, there's a lot of other major themes and things to watch for here, a lot at play. Those include, of course, the final weeks of the de Blasio administration and this city council class and other elected officials in city government in their current positions, a lot going on a big rush to pass things to announce things to debate things and so on we're of course starting to really look at the de Blasio legacy after his eight years as mayor. And then, along with the mayor elect there's all of the new and returning members of the next city government and what that will look like and what their priorities will be. Uh, a lot of interesting dynamics, then some uh, people moving on to higher office or a different office transition period for officials like Comptroller-Elect Brad Lander and many new borough presidents and city council members and others. And then that, of course, ties in with the big developing race to be the next speaker of the city council, an immensely powerful position that is elected by the members of the council. 51 city council members will vote in January for the next speaker, and that person will be basically the second most powerful elected official in city government though chosen as the leader of the legislative body by the members of the legislative body. Get back to that in just one second. We're of course also watching the developing 2022 state and federal elections. The June primaries for those are very close. So we've seen people jumping into races, the races for governor and attorney general and more. Uh, my guest last week fits basically all of those themes. That was public advocate Jamani Williams. Find that conversation at Max Politics wherever you get your podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. Jamani Williams was just reelected as public advocate, but then just after speaking with me last week uh, on Monday of this week, he formally announced his plans to enter uh, to, and his entrance into the governor's race and the primary that will happen in June. So now he's running statewide again there, along with Governor Kathy Hochul, Attorney General Letitia James, and we'll see who else jumps into that race. So do find my conversation with Jamani Williams from last week. It was a very interesting discussion as he was right on the verge of announcing his run for governor. My guest this week also hits on a couple of those themes. I'm happy today to be joined by Gail Brewer, who is the Manhattan Borough President, of course, and was just elected to go back to the city council where she was previous to becoming Manhattan Borough President. A lot to talk about here with Gail Brewer, who is also seeking to become that next speaker of the city council. So my conversation with the Manhattan Borough President and city council member elect Gail Brewer in just one moment. Before we get to that, please do check out our latest reporting at GothamGazette.com. We've had a lot of interesting pieces from our team there in recent weeks, looking at the results of the election and what's ahead, a variety of pieces on policy and politics and so much more, of course. And if you've missed any of the recent episodes of this podcast, Max Politics, find them wherever you get podcasts or the Gotham Gazette website. In addition to the conversation with Jamani Williams that I just mentioned, I've been having a wide variety of discussions with elected officials, candidates, journalists, experts, advocates, and more people focused at the state level, city level, uh, a variety of great guests. So please do check out all those conversations, any which that you are interested in. This conversation here with Gail Brewer today uh, comes as part of a series where I'm trying to talk with each of the candidates for city council speaker in some depth about their government work. And about what their pitch is to become the next speaker of the city council so in recent weeks i've had a few of these conversations already with speaker candidates. And hopefully others coming up all right enough introduction from me borough President city council Member elect Gail Brewer, how are you.
1: I'm well, thank you, I appreciate always talking to you Max.
0: All right it's good to good to have you here thanks for bearing with me on my introduction there. Um, All right, your borough presidency, almost eight years, coming to a close here, Uh, you have a lot on your agenda that we'll we'll get to in a second, but as you're looking at this tenure, uh, you know, how are you reflecting on it? What are you most proud of? Uh, Let's start there. What are you most proud of from from your tenure here as borough president of Manhattan over almost eight years?
1: Well, I think most people know that the borough president is what you make of it. I was obviously around in 1989 when the change took place to the charter. And at that time, uh, the borough presidents went from being a member of the old Board of Estimate to having uh, a role in land use, but not the final, and a role in the budget, but not the final. And they have to make of it what you wish. Borough President under the Charter has a role in the land use process, um, appoints in my case about a thousand people to local boards, including community boards, advocate, You know, obviously uh, allocates funding for capital projects like others do, and can introduce legislation with a council member. So given those charter aspects, I'm very proud of the land use. We've done over 200 ULURPS, which is, I think, more than the rest of the boroughs combined. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the big ones you hear about. Um, East Midtown was successful. We worked on Inwood. We worked on East Harlem. We participated and led the Garment Center, South Street Seaport, SoHo NoHo, Um, a real effort towards those Faith based that are under development uh, challenges, all the churches and synagogues and mosques, what to do about them. Um, we also had a discussion about construction safety. We've had many, many sort of ULERP related discussions as well as pre planning discussions. So you don't end up with a ULERP that is starting at the bell of the City Planning Commission. So I would say very proud of the work we've done on planning. Mm. So, Interesting. Um, God, go ahead. And then, second, community boards and others. There's, we got going this Solid Waste Advisory Board, known as SWAB, which had been um, languishing. I think we got started before any other borough. Um, and as we have these a thousand appointments, you know, boards, hospital boards, school boards, we appoint. You hear about the community boards. You also may not hear about the poverty boards. All, and then cultural boards. So you, you know that all of these people need to be trained. So in addition to you know, the appointments, we also train them in uh, open data. You know That's my knowledge because I passed the open data bill in the city council. So how to use open data. Again, I'm not getting into all the specifics, but we have real trainings on open data, parliamentary procedure, anti-bias issues, everything, how to write a resolution and obviously land use and budgeting. And many other topics. Um, we just, I think at the end of this week, we'll be finishing up this quote unquote semester. I uh, usually have 120, 150 people at every single one. So and we've been doing this for eight years. So all of that is part of the office that I'm proud of. Um, in terms of funding, you know, just like the council and the mayor, we get a budget. It's all uh, under the capital budget, it is mandated by the charter and the city constitution how much each borough president gets, it's a formula. Um, And we use that for the schools and the parks and the culture institutions. But we also, you know, do a whole lot of handholding to make sure that they get their money and that it's appropriately spent and so on and so forth. That's a lot of work. Um, And just in terms of legislation, we've introduced, I don't know, maybe 40 bills with council members. And I think 20 or 22 have actually passed. uh, Mm -hmm. The one that I'm most proud of, there are many, but one of them was the act that with Damani Williams that basically states if you have a, it's called the Fair Chance Act, but if you have a record of criminal justice, if you apply for a job, and I'm just giving you the top points, you do not have to declare it unless you actually get the job. And this has helped a whole lot of people um, get a job. Uh, So those are the mandates. Then um, they're also very proud of the fact that when um, development takes place, in some cases we've sued the mayor and been successful. Sometimes we haven't been successful, but well, we sued the mayor uh, to stop development at a housing development called Homes. It's right on 92nd in York. Um, no planning. so I wanted to say, you're going to develop here at this develop this NYCHA site. You have to do it correctly with a planning process because we were very involved with the process, which is also a highlight working with the speaker's office, the mayor's office, and NYCHA, and the community boards, and the residents um, on 26th Street. There are two developments there. One is Elliot, and the other is Fulton. Uh, and working with the local uh, community uh, settlement house, we managed to come up with a plan for that development that includes RAD, which is the program that the city's been using to renovate a public-private partnership, without getting into all the details, mm-hmm two years meeting every Tuesday at seven. And it was something that people can be proud of. So that's an example of pre-planning that goes the right way, opposite the homes. And we also sued the mayor um, at, uh, between two bridges, the Williamsburg and the Manhattan Bridge. I can't say we're successful, it's not over yet, but we lost in court. We don't want that area to be rezoned. We want it to be rezoned. We want it to be done with the community. We don't want tall four buildings without any community input. So on all the planning, I, I mean, I could go on and on. I'm very proud because it is the hardest issue of all. Mm-hmm. I'm also proud that we took our district office in Harlem. It was, had been at the Harlem State Office Building, also known as the Adam Clayton Powell Jr. Office Building on 125th Street, moved out of there. And seven years ago, we had started and now still have a wonderful um, storefront office in fact last night we had a huge party as part of the 125th street business improvement district floats and lighting you know how they have the lights on the avenue Um, and we had hundreds of people come with dj and food just to enjoy uh the beginning of the holiday so that was an example of you know just also in the evening sometimes some 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. or later um, at that office, we have Uptown Wagon, which is a group that gives out food and clothing and vaccines uh, late in the evening. Uh, many people who are homeless come, many people who are busy during the day, huge. We do that in addition to during the day, obviously, constituents with housing and employment and school come by. So it's been a, it's the only district office on the street in Harlem. Okay. Okay. So All right. well that's, those are some things I could go on, as you know.
0: <laughs> quite a, quite a sample. Appreciate that. So on what you, what you really highlighted first, which of course is such a core p- part of the job as Manhattan borough president is of course a key part of the job as a city council member is something, you know, very important for anybody who's city council speaker, The these land use matters that you said, you know, you're proud of, of how they've gone overall, you know, a couple victories a couple losses on some lawsuits but you know getting to a lot of agreement on on a wide variety of of projects um a couple things that are happening right now uh what happened on this um the this blood center rezoning project this expansion project on the upper east side um what you know that that was that was kind of one of these you know it's the end of the term uh things got very intense very quickly and the city council has passed this uh this rezoning for the blood center over the objection of the local city council member ben kalos as well as many other manhattan officials who represent the area um the council deciding that um you know the benefits of the project outweighed the opposition what happened there, and it should, was there anything you know that you think should have happened differently in in retrospect now?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, it hasn't completely passed, and just so you know, it's going through it's subcommittee right. land use, right. but it hasn't yet gone to the full council. Just so we know, um, and I, and nobody knows what the number of people who need to vote for it, because, and I don't know a thing about this, but the building next door apparently uh, has an attorney who feels it needs a supermajority in order to pass some uh, very old law that he or she dug up. So just so you know, there's a lot of controversy about that topic in addition. So to add to the discussion, so we have correct information. I don't know the answer to that, neither does anybody else it seems. Um, In this particular case, you know, I think people love the blood center, respect the work that they've been doing, um, this Longfellow is from Boston, it's a company that does uh, life science, and the blood center needs funding, so they decided they were going to send sell part of their building, because they do own it, to Longfellow. Longfellow would then develop and, and rent out some of their spaces to uh, life science firms. We all need to know how to cure cancer, not to have another pandemic, etc. But um, the issue is the height. And in that district, we have a park. There are very few parks on the east side that would be in the shadows if a tall building is built. And across the street are at least four high schools and a school for autistic children. Um, And in the past, the Blood Center uh, apparently had tried to even buy the school building, which is outrageous. Uh, And luckily the school was able to push back with the community. So here we are in 2021, there was a somewhat of a reduction in height by the blood center after much, much push and advocacy by the community, an excellent community, you know, hired the best attorneys, the best um, land use experts, etc. So now the building is at 210 or 218 plus the mechanicals and little do I know about life science, but life science labs they're called wet labs need a ton of i call it air conditioning mechanicals hvac whatever the correct term is so they have a lot more mechanicals than you and i would have in a multi uh family residential building and that's what's driving the height up to 233 feet um so the challenge is now you know i I have to i have great respect for ben kalos he has a wonderful editorial in the uh today's daily news on this topic But um, I think I don't know how else after so many meetings, hundreds and hundreds of them to get the height down because a little bit, obviously the city under this negotiation will be as mandated and the city council will I assume mandate that a certain amount of money go to the park and a certain amount of money go to the school. Hopefully the school, I worry about the school because I know what it's like to be near a building under construction and still try to teach and it's hard generally, and with autistic children, it's even more disruptive. So that is a huge issue. So, um, so
0: is the final is the final question mark here? Whatever might happen in in this sort of um, use of the of the possible charter situation, any legal proceedings. But in your mind, other than that, there's there's still the opportunity to think for a final negotiation of a height change.
1: I don't know that there is. I tried with everything I could. Um, I couldn't get the height down from this 233 feet. So, um, yeah. I, I don't know how else to do it. There's a whole issue about the height for a lab, which is different than the height that you and I have in our apartment buildings.
0: Zoom out though for us here in terms of the bigger picture around this. This is obviously a fairly unique. You know, this is not a, a big apartment tower that is almost always you know the most controversial or the most you know typical. Um, to stir up, you know, this type of thing or a neighborhood rezoning. This is a very particular type of, of project, but zooming out to sort of the process here and city council consensus and the local member, you know, member deference where the city council usually defers to the local council member on matters of development in a, in a land use approval process. What broke down here or what went right or what what's your assessment of this of this process in terms of of how it went here that. uh, I should have more carefully, you know, explained what was happening that that it looks like the council wants to override the local member and pass this through not just the committees, but of course, the full council. And we we'll have to see what happens in the coming, you know, days and weeks, but what's your assessment process wise of either what went wrong or what went right here.
1: It's not the first time. I think uh, David Yasky, uh, when he was a council member in Brooklyn and there was a rezoning, uh, in addition, he, too, had um, the city council vote differently than his um, suggestion. So, and very, I, was, very I was there, so I, I know what that was. Um, I think in this particular case, the city council members are very keen to support the blood center. Um, They, I think incorrectly, this is upsetting to me, think that the folks, they don't know the east side. They think everybody's wealthy on the east side. That is absolutely unequivocally not true. And I think that they, um, you know, they feel that there has been a negotiation that the hundred-ish feet that has been, um, that the building has been lowered is sufficient. People feel that the life sciences are part of the need. Um, I don't need to explain why. And that it's that they are located in a corridor where life sciences can be shared because obviously you're in what I call bedpan alley, but it's also got a lot of hospitals. Um, You know, there are other life science locations. There's one that we've been working on at 126th Street in St. Nicholas. And obviously you hear about other ones um, in East Harlem too. So there are other locations that it could go. I think this is more the blood center feels they need the revenue in order to continue doing the work that they do. It's a very complicated situation, Ben. That's the best I can do to analyze what's going on.
0: The Soho NoHo uh, rezoning is coming to a head as well. What's your sort of assessment of where that's at and where where we're heading on on that one? That's another big one that's taken up a lot of your time and attention over the last uh, many many months. Um, what, where is that heading, and how are you feeling about how that's coming towards a resolution?
1: That's a real. That's a big, much bigger in terms of scope than the Blood Center. Right. And I have to say that I think the city's plan is not a good one it's you know i'd like to have affordable housing at soho noho and i'd like to have some way of doing that um, and, and you know we could play with the retail issues that need to be addressed and the quality of life issues that need to be addressed i can't find anybody who feels that this is a great plan the people who support um there are few but the people who advocate such a rezoning meaning affordable housing MIH, meaning um, both re- both uh, um, market and low income, they don't like the plan. They don't like it because the plan right now, no matter how much is tweaked, seems to favor commercial building and not residential. We're all about residential. And interestingly enough, some of the new buildings that are being built now in Soho Noho are commercial. So what are we doing? Just enhancing them? So the issue of how do you make sure this is a residential plan, how do you make sure it's truly affordable, how do you try to keep it within the contextual of SoHo NoHo, how do you deal with the uh, those who would like to see more mom and pop retail but make it easier for those who are not going to be, who might be some of the national chains, they don't have to go through a process all the time but still have some say over it. Um, I have to say, people who live there, who I will not name, but you know them, they're well household names in our city, um, don't like the plan. I mean, I go to every meeting, dinner, forum, as you know, and people, shockingly, to my surprise, have come up to me who support every development and they don't like this plan. So the question is, there have been some phenomenal architects and planners who live in SoHo, work in SoHo, NoHo, and who have come up with some, some good ideas. So why in the world is the city not listening to them? So that's, you know, it's a, very different than the blood center. Yeah. Um, and so I would say, it's you know, it's now at the city council level, I've made as many, you know, comments as I can. I do think that this is a plan that needs a whole lot of work. And I have to say, I think it was put together Not with the most input, and could be. We, you know, it's really important to have affordable housing there. It's really important to figure out the retail. It's really important to figure out the quality of life. I don't know that this plan does it. So let's see what happens.
0: Well, that's that's. uh, I, I thought after after all the the process that's that's happened, there was a little bit more consensus around. You know sort of heading in the direction with some, you know, some final changes, but it sounds like you want some, some much bigger changes than, than I, than I sort of expected at this point, you know, that stakeholders would be, would be pushing for.
1: Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm, I, I have a process, but I'm not the final say, as you know.
0: Sure, sure. Let me ask you about this point you bring up about context, because that's obviously, you know, that's part of the blood center discussion. That's part of so many discussions around development and rezonings and whatever it might be. Um, How do you get, you know, how do you, how do you really grow uh, in the way that New York City seemingly, you know, has, has, has often grown over its, you know, centuries. Um, But how do you really grow both, like New York city has grown in the past, but also to meet, you know, to meet the needs of the city's current and future um, while always sort of uh, using sort of the context of, of neighborhoods to try to dictate, you know, what comes next. I mean, you know, isn't it that, you know, the city changes over time and neighborhoods change over time and the context changes. And then there's a different context and, you know, that's, that's seemingly always an argument for for doing less or not doing
1: that much. Yeah, I think it's about the, for me, it's about the affordability. And Soho NoHo was a good example Mm -hmm. because everybody in Soho NoHo, or at least many people, would be much more supportive of the plan if in some of these buildings there was more affordable housing. The issue is it's never gonna be more than the Um, mandatory inclusionary housing. For those of you who don't know, that's the 25%. Sometimes you can get to 30%. And then everything else, particularly Manhattan, is gonna be very high income because this particular administration has stated that in the borough of Manhattan, and I've been told this to my face, in the borough of Manhattan, we're not gonna put in any subsidy because the market will pay for the affordable, for the life of the building. That's a problem. If you go to the Bronx, with all due respect to my friends in the Bronx, they get 100% affordable buildings because I am told over and over again, I get more for my dollar in the Bronx. So there, in other words, the land is cheaper. So therefore, I'm going to put my subsidy in the Bronx. That's the problem, because guess what's in Manhattan? The best schools, not to say there aren't good ones in the Bronx, but they're excellent ones, We want our boroughs to be more diverse. We want more families to use the libraries and the parks and so on. And I'm gonna be really clear, we're close to jobs. I know people who are commuting, you know, two, three hours to jobs in Manhattan, people working for security guard, people working in restaurants. So the part that I don't understand is, why can't we also subsidize, even though it may cost more, in the end, I think it costs less, these buildings, and that's where the problem is. So when you say contextual, yes, we should all be working pre-planning. Yes, there was a lot of discussion about uh, SOHO, NOHO in a task force that I chaired, but to be honest with you, those ideas were kind of thrown out the window and all of a sudden we had a plan. It wasn't the plan that came out of this task force. So the issue is what do we do to provide, you know, for the affordable housing in places that cost more? I can go through the hotels right now. I'm trying to convert some of these hotels to permanently supportive housing for those who are homeless. And there's a road, a legal roadblock there. It's always something that doesn't give us in Manhattan the affordability. So it's not that we don't want um, you know, the housing to be built because the construction unions want it. It's gotta be affordable. Otherwise, you're just building the same old, the same old. I don't know how to end this conversation. Um Mm-hmm. But that's the problem right there.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, the next mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, has talked a lot about these issues, not in a ton of detail, but he's talked about, including in Manhattan, wanting to upzone wealthier, typically whiter neighborhoods to add more <coughs> housing, including affordable housing. We don't fully know where he's going to land on the mandatory inclusionary housing program and the subsidies you just mentioned, right? So there there, there might be some some differences there. But um how are you thinking about these matters of rezonings and development um with the next mayor coming in saying he's he's really wants to target big swaths of manhattan for uh development and adding more housing including affordable housing he, he, speaking to some of the same goals that you just mentioned but um you know how, how are you thinking about that coming up whether you're city council speaker or not we can get to that in a minute but um You know, what do you what do you think about what you've we've heard from Eric Adams on that? Because it sounds like he kind of wants to supercharge some of what we've seen in these rezonings.
1: Well, I mean, I think if he talks about more affordable housing in a particular building by using some either, you know, project based section eight vouchers or some other um, mechanism, then we're all people would be very happy. I I don't haven't heard enough from him except on the campaign trail. And I, I think we all agree. I certainly want more affordable housing you, in so many places. It's an as of right, that's another whole discussion. And you end up with, um, yes, we are growing as a city. I totally agree, we need more housing, but we also need to make sure that it's affordable to people who live here. And let's hope that we have a coming together to try to figure out how to do that. That's, that is the crutch of the matter and perhaps the number one crisis um, in our city. So we have to work to figure out if there is some subsidy that's possible. You can't really take, I wish you could, I've been talking about this forever, some of the subsidies that go into the homeless housing because it's city, state, and federal. There's a lot of state money there, there's a lot of federal money in there. Mm-hmm. People always say, why can't you use that for permanent housing? It's mostly, particularly on the state and federal level, used for quote-unquote temporary housing, which is not helpful because it doesn't move it towards the um permanent housing. so there's people my hero in all of this is felice machete she was the uh, commissioner of hpd um over a couple of mayors and then she was a starrett she's now retired she knows how to do this so we need people like a Felice machete to work with us to figure out how to do this okay um
0: housing development we, we there's so many other ways in which people are continuing to rethink uh use of public space uh transit busways bike lanes outdoor dining uh, open streets um, as you look ahead to the next administration going back to the city council your final weeks as borough president how are you thinking you know i didn't even mention the sort of Ideas and shifting around, making sure there's more sort of loading and delivery zones because the, of this huge increase in you know people ordering everything to come to their apartments, uh, trash containerization, so many things that have been either slowly moving or people want to move more quickly or have moved you know a lot in the last few months or year. Um, how are you thinking about this? I don't know, slow boiling, you know, revolution in terms of the use of public space and how, you know, streets and sidewalks are being used and designed. What's um, your assessment of where we're at and what needs to be accelerated or or decelerated?
1: I would say three words, public, realm, czar. I mean, not only did you mention all of those, but you also yeah. have, the, you have the open streets and you have the arts and you have sidewalk sheds. I count city and state 25 agencies because I spent time looking to see if I have the right number but 25 agencies that work in the realm that you just discussed Mm -hmm. so and then you have NYPD and you have the sanitation department etc and in Times Square you have the painted ladies and you know you have the costume character so all of that is somebody has to coordinate I have an example Um, In Harlem, there's a fabulous church that's been there for many, many years. Um, It's a black community. And with all due respect to the DOT, and I love bike lanes, but without appropriate, there may have been some contact, but without appropriate input, DOT has put a two-way bike lane in front of the church. So that means challenges to the weddings, challenges to the burials, challenges to the accessor ride, et cetera. So that's an example of nobody paying attention. That would be another agency, by the way, um, paying attention to uh, public realm issues. I think it's really exciting, the open restaurants. I know not everybody loves them, but I love them. I love the bike lanes. We need more bus lanes, etc. But But it's, it's pretty much what you just described. And I don't really know. You have to call many agencies to get anything accomplished. That has to stop. So the answer to your question is public realms are somebody has to work with all these different agencies.
0: Yeah. Well, we're supposed to get this um, streets master plan at some point here. So that seems like, you know, a key piece of the puzzle. But but any of those things that I mentioned, you just mentioned a few of them that you're supportive of anything that I mentioned that you, um, you know, really want to see accelerated, like the trash containerization pilot that, you know, has been very late in coming, as far as I can tell, and you know is slow moving now. But you know, it, at least it's it's moving. Um, uh, the busways, anything you think you know really is due for a real shot in the arm under the next administration. And once we get this streets master plan, and if there is a public realm czar that you're talking about, anything you want to see really, um, you know, sort of put on steroids in this in this um, yeah, in this I mean- realm.
1: Yeah, trash, because the rats. I mean, I don't know how many complaints others get, but I'm swamped with rat complaints and rats come with the garbage. They also come because we had a certain kind of weather pattern, which apparently rats like. So containerization um, has to look like something that people want to walk by. Open restaurants are great. Who's actually figuring out about the trash that surrounds them? um we need more pickup of the trash uh i could talk about many avenues that need that even with this clean team need a lot of so yes i would say trash is one of those issues that needs immediate focus i think also um i know the other day when i was coming down an avenue that was literally four deep because you had 18 wheelers on both sides doing deliveries you had a bike lane um you had um uh, just regular old parking and you had all the you know people doing um construction in the area it was havoc so there's a lot of discussion and again public realms are uh should we have areas that are just for pickup and drop off for the 18 wheelers and the construction people how do you deal with parking that isn't available people are very upset about that how is congestion pricing going to fit into all of this the list is endless uh-huh. and i have no idea where to, i mean i can tell you You'd have to sit down immediately with people who are expert in this field and to come up with some kind of strategy. I'd love to see yeah. this master plan, but I'm more interested in implementation and how is that gonna work?
0: Yeah, huge, huge challenges for the next mayor and other city officials here. All right. Um, I have a list of a hundred more topics to get to with you, but I have to now narrow it down because I don't wanna take up too much more of your time. But um, let me let me come back to a few other sort of issue topics in a minute but you are seeking to become speaker of the city council you were running for city council and and you know pretty coy about whether you'd be seeking speaker i know you had to get Uh, elected first. um, And then, boom, the election was over and you're in SOMOS and you're meeting with council members. And then now we're doing the online, you know, the Zoom forums with the council speaker candidates. So you're in the mix here. Um, What is your pitch? Forget, you know, forget the advocacy groups, forget the, the labor unions and others who all, of course, are important and have, you know, pieces of the discussion here. But when you talk to people that will be your colleagues and that you're looking to vote for you for speaker in January. What is your pitch to your colleagues and your future colleagues in terms of why you should be the next speaker of the city council?
1: Well, I'm not the best pitcher, but I will say that um, there are a lot of good ideas, green jobs, the ones that you just described. We've got to figure out, people say you shouldn't talk about units of appropriation in the budget, Gail, because nobody knows what you're talking about. But the issue is the budget categories are too large. They have to be looked at in a different fashion. How to use open data. I could there are lots of uh ways that I think if you have a good idea on something like the ones on the streetscapes, I'm good at implementing it. Only because I've done it for such a long time. We just even in Chinatown, um, to add to your what are you proud of? Um, I gotta. Noticed that the state would be giving out that REDC, which is a Regional Economic Development Court money, and we just hired a fundraiser grant writer and we got the 20 million for Chinatown. Uh, Last week, the governor announced it. So I'm good at saying, okay, so what do we have to do? Okay, that's a great idea for commercial strip. How do we actually implement it? And so that's where my pitch is. Um, I am not the person that has all the good ideas. There are tons of them out there. What are we gonna do about public safety? What are we gonna do about the climate issues that are facing us, et cetera? But I'm good at saying, okay, you need these three agencies, you need these three academics, you need these advocacy groups, and this one, um, don't use that person, they're no good. Mm-hmm. And, and be able to say, this is how we can quickly take care of this low-hanging fruit And then here's a long term project that has to be addressed, because we only have two years, the mayor has four, we got two, so I'm saying look at some of these low hanging fruit. Uh, Let's get rid, let's address them quickly in the budget and with legislation or policy or implementation that's what that's where I come in. And it's not to say there aren't really good people running it just when you have the kind of long term experience I have, I want government to work and that's what where I come in I want. These agencies right now are very challenging. And I, I think Eric Adams understands that he wants to change that too. And I am just think, gonna say, you sound like Eric Adams. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm very different than Eric Adams. Eric Adams knows that too, um, <laughs> in the sense that the members whom I have spoken to are super smart um, and many of them have great ideas. We all wanna figure out how to make them reality. And that's what the members are interested in. They want oversight. We all want oversight. We want the council to be that oversight body But we have to get, we want oversight and we want to get projects done. And, you know, that's where I come in. Mm -hmm. And
0: I I have to ask because, you know, you obviously as a prominent elected official borough-wide, you know, there was talk at one point, oh, what's Gail Brewer going to do next? You know, run for city controller, run for mayor. And you've said, you know, multiple times, "Ah, I don't have much interest outside of Manhattan. But to be be speaker, you have to really take a a citywide view have you have you changed your thinking on that
1: uh uh, no i love manhattan i love to visit other people's areas and i'll let them decide what has to happen in those areas and work with them i don't know anything about wetlands i don't know a thing about industrial parks etc so i'm more than willing to work with others to figure out what needs to get done there's some super smart people who have been elected from what i can see And they have good ideas, so my job is to implement them, not to know their boroughs really well. I feel strongly about that. They know their boroughs. Their borough presidents know their boroughs and they know their boroughs. I'm not changing my position, no. And
0: you, and you have pledged, if you were uh, chosen to be speaker, you've said you would do it for one term. I assume that means, you know, the two, two year, uh, the two, two year terms because of uh, redistricting, but can you explain that pledge and why why you would limit yourself in this, you know, in this pitch to people to select you as the next speaker, why you would make that pledge?
1: Absolutely. Because first of all, um, there are lots of people who should be after. Yeah, first of all, you have to get elected after the two years, just so it's clear. Sure. Um, but presuming people do get elected, that I would de- absolutely give it up and have somebody else who's already extremely knowledgeable be the next speaker. I have no interest in being more than four years. So simple, simple as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but,
0: but why is that? I mean, why not? If you're doing a good, if you know, if you're doing a good job, if you have the position, you've, you know, you.
1: I playing, you're I've been four years. This plating—that's a lot of work in four years. I'm, I don't, I'm not adverse to hard work because that's what I do. But four years is plenty of time to get something accomplished, and then somebody else can keep going. Uh
0: huh. Um, last couple of questions, we've mentioned Eric Adams, you say you're different, maybe you could explain a little bit about how you, you know, what you see as, as some of the biggest differences between the two of you in terms of how you, you know, are thinking about the future of the city. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, if, if there's particular things um, aside from those differences, if there's particular things, you know, maybe something that you're most excited about that you've heard from him and something you're most concerned about that you've heard from him that you, you know, are wary of.
1: Sure. I mean, we are friends because of being borough president coming in at the same time Um, as before Melinda Cass became district attorney before the pandemic. We would five of us would have lunch pretty often, and it was a very special time, I think, for all five of us. So that's how we bonded. Um, In addition, The city council, let me be very clear, is the oversight body. It's the check on the mayor to check on the agencies. And I'm very concerned about making sure that that's what the agency does. They need to be um, a check. Um, And at the same time, though, like I said, everybody in New York, I think most people anyway, are looking to see how their lives can be improved, um, both on the federal, state and city level. But they always focus on the local level. I can't tell you how many people call me for a passport. In fact, now they call the local about everything, whereas it's really a federal or state issue, we still deal with it. So the city council and the mayor together with between the budget and policies have to figure out in two years what it is that can make people's lives visibly better. Now, again, that's not an easy task, but there may be, as you suggested, some of the things on the street Or maybe God help us some housing or other topics that people will bring up that could improve people's lives. Uh, I'm always focused on the schools too. Mm -hmm. So um, the answer to your question is oversight, oversight, oversight of the city by the City Council. The City Council is an independent body, but at the same time, we have to make sure that there's some improvement in people's lives. You can't do that by yourself.
0: I have to ask you at the at one of the forums the other night hosted by the Working Families party and others, you you seem to float an idea about a, a shift to the lower Manhattan jail plan using a what you said is an empty federal building. and I, I wanted to follow up with you on that. Is this something you're really pursuing that you want to try to, I don't know, launch a, a different Euler plan around the, you know the, this jail plan is is, you know is seemingly done and in motion, but you mentioned the idea of shifting the lower Manhattan plan. Is that, is that a real plan? Do you have something
1: in mind that you wanna pursue in well, January, you know, come I'm very, su- I'm very supportive of closing Rikers. I love people who wanna close Rikers, but they don't know what to do after that. That's frustrating. Um, absolutely correct, the ULURP is done. There may be, I don't believe there are any more lawsuits in Manhattan. There may be one in the Bronx, I don't know. So I assume that most of the lawsuits have been settled. Most of the ULURPs have been decided. Um, It seems like it's very quiet at the mayor's office right now. you may know more about what's going on than I do. Um, We had a Rikers Island task force to add to the task forces that we had. Um, Chinatown is very upset as you can imagine about this tall building. Um, And there will be a lot of disruption. I don't, I'm delighted about the state $20 million, but it's still rough for the businesses there. I won't get into, you know, no tourists, no office workers no court workers, and of course, all the anti-Semitism. It's really rough for Chinatown. So um, then, way after the ULIP, and you read the papers too, um, the federal folks cleared out their jail. I just threw out, somebody looked just to see what's gonna happen to that piece of real estate. And it's right near, next door, as you know, to the city jail. They're both jails now, it's not like it's a new jail. I don't know. Is there something that we could work on together? I threw it out as an idea. We're looking at yeah. it. No, it's not a plan. Okay. It would have to be we, you lurked. But, you know, if something is sitting right in your face. You should at least investigate. Got it. Got it. OK. All
0: right. Um, lastly, just in terms of um, this this p- position here, when you are, uh, spe- you know, when you're pursuing this position of city council speaker, you're talking to the individual council members. But as I indicated, there's a lot of other players in this, in this atmosphere, in this ball game, who are uh, having influence. They include Eric Adams, of course, you know, last year, last time there was a new mayor coming in with Bill de Blasio eight years ago. He basically had decisive influence, uh, helping Melissa Mark Viverito become the next speaker. She, of course, had a lot of support leading to that, but he helped get, you know, seemingly whip the final votes to get a speaker that was more aligned with him than uh, Dan Gorodnik at the time. Uh, then we saw with Corey Johnson's election as speaker, the council wanted someone to be a little more independent from the mayor. That's what happens, you know. I think midway through the term, anyway. Of all these other forces in the, in the constellation and on the playing field, who are your allies? Who are you, you know, relying on to help you get to the finish line of this position and get, you know, and, and, and get there? Um, you know, speaking with Carlina Rivera, for example, Representative Nidia Velasquez is you know, strongly behind her. There's others who have different relationships with Eric Adams or labor unions or Congress members. Um, who are you relying on as allies in this in this big discussion
1: I'm not great at this so I have been meeting with individuals because I hate it when somebody calls me and I haven't even met with the person on any topic mm-hmm. so I have meeting with individuals um, I know that I have been told uh, that it's okay to say that the great Stuart applebon who's head of the retail workers is supporting me but you know I Know that I have to meet with different um, individuals who are members of the city council. They're the ones who are going to be voting. Mm-hmm. So, what I'm saying is, except for Mr. Applebaum, I don't have any outside uh, support because I'm just continuing to meet with individuals. I think the race is open. I don't think there's a block that is for one person at this point. That's what I understand from talking to members. So that's that's my sense
0: of it too. It's pretty wide open. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, a lot of different forces and players uh, on the field at this point and we'll get more clarity soon. It seems.
1: Correct. Gail
0: Brewer, thank you for the time. Uh, Like I said, many more things on my list here, but I've, I've kept you for a while. So I appreciate the time. It's good to chat with you and we will catch up with you on these other things on my list uh, later on down the line.
1: Thank you very much, Ben.
0: Thanks a lot. Take care.